Hello there. there. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. This is episode 46. This is the first episode of season six of Star Wars in the Galaxy, where we are watching season three, mostly, of Star Wars The Clone Wars. We are starting with episodes five, six, and seven, because who needs math of season three? Um, they are Corruption, The Academy, and Assassin are the three episodes. Um, yes. Yeah, we should we should just get into it, don't you think? Absolutely. I'm super excited. Um, talking yeah. about talking about season two, talking about the ending of that, it got me super hyped for season three. So even yeah. though this isn't the the technical exact start, I am uh, I'm thrilled nonetheless. Absolutely. Let's pop right in. The first episode we have is corruption. Quick summary: uh, We see um. Padme Amidala taking a visit to Mandalore and getting a big parade, a Mandalorian welcome from Duchess Satine. Unbeknownst to them, behind the scenes, some smugglers land on Mandalore and end up kind of bribing and coercing their way into putting a toxic diluting agent called Slabin into the vats of the uh, Mandalorian tea. And this ends up... Uh, poisoning a whole school full of children and, and triggering a massive controversy where we end up uh, end up finding out how many um just how many members of the Mandalorian government and law enforcement are totally corrupt and are are bribing people and being bribed. Um, but they do in the end uh, catch the smugglers and get the antidote. But it is a uh, a very sobering moment nonetheless for uh, for Satine and her court. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to our fortune cookie, which is the challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. Now, before we even get to like what that means, I got a bone to pick with this fortune cookie. I hate when fortune cookies have the name of the episode in it. Really? I, it yeah. feels like cheating to me. It feels like, you know, when the songs try to rhyme a word with itself. Like, yeah, you, it have, just... you have the word heart and you rhyme it with heart or something like that. That's what this feels like to me. It feels extremely lazy, um, but whatever. Um, it's semantics for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the greatest. So oh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely uh, I can definitely see this played out in the episode. It really reminds me of Lucas's messages um, and what George Lucas kind of put in there in yeah. uh attack of the clones and the phantom menace especially how he's trying to point out how greed and, and corruption can kind of bring down a government and erode trust in uh in institutions so i thought that was a pretty cool um it, it felt like a callback to that and kind of an homage to what george lucas did in many ways with the uh the prequel trilogy yeah this does feel like a very it has that prequel politics feel but far more clear and far more like it makes a lot more sense than it does in the prequels yeah i think for me it feels as though it's um it feels more um overt in these episodes i guess as we will yeah as we'll talk about but um it feels more like it hits the nail on the head whereas with the with the prequel trilogy you know we see a lot of um subtle and not so subtle maybe references for example newt gunray sounds an awful lot like newt gingrich that's the that's one i always Reagan. think of. don't remember that one don't forget that one <laughs> um yeah uh the political themes in both these episodes corruption and the academy assassin not as much but still there's stuff there 
is very, very prevalent. Um, yeah, I, you know, the challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. In over to get past corruption, you need for people to put others first, um, who may need it more than themselves. Um, you know, it harkens back to, you know, Anakin in Phantom Menace. This is the biggest problem in this universe is that nobody helps one another. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, um, not to get too crazy of a movie I know that people generally do not like, but, um, man, the fleet coming in The Rise of Skywalker, I mean, that is people coming to help right there. Um, anyway, rant about Rise of Skywalker over. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I thought still, it was... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But still, the the idea of... Sometimes this this is a, a problem I go back and forth with on the prequels. Half the time I think it's genius, and half of the time I think it's stupid. Which is that half the time the corruption to me in the prequels and in the Clone Wars era stuff seems too cartoony. Then I realize how inspired by the real world it is and how exaggerated it isn't. You know what I mean? How yeah, much they're yeah. not exaggerating it, and then I'm like, okay, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one thing that I seem that I think is especially prescient to today in this episode is not maybe not necessarily just the straight up corruption, but the way that corruption flourishes as uh, people's faith in the government and faith in longstanding institutions kind of evaporates and erodes you know you see more people make the choice of yeah i don't have to be upstanding because like i don't have to uphold the laws what's in it for me you know this yeah. government doesn't have my back hey challenge to all our that. listeners quickly um if if i may uh count how many times we say corruption in this episode how, oh my gosh there's gonna be dozens <laughs> shout out to the amazing schmodown faction by the way um k-o-r-r-u-p-t-i-o um and corruption my oh, personal okay. schmodown faction i putting that out of the way we see padme touchdown and she immediately gets the mandalorian welcome and and one thing that i think is yeah very telling that kind of loops back to some of the mandalore episodes in season two of the clone wars is when she says i want to show you the new mandalore and kind of references yeah. pacifist mandalore but i think this just shows in a big spectacular way how the facade of new mandalore remains with satine's government you know she even says when they're when they're riding through um of course we have a big parade we are a people, people of, tradition. of tradition yes that line was too good that line was too good because just like last season we see how she ignores the dark sides of the mandalorian tradition and and she thinks that just because a peaceful government is in power Maybe this isn't the problem as much, or maybe this will kind of dissipate. But you know, clearly it doesn't. And until until season four and season five, when Mandalore is engulfed in radicalism and fear, uh, they they kind of live in a little bit of an idealist way. Um, yeah. So this feels ridiculously timely for the United States, but I don't want to get too much into that I, and derail us. I I was thinking about what you were saying about the whole Mandalore and welcome thing, and I wrote this down. I'm sure you felt this based on what you've said about it so far. Did the Mandalorian welcome feel a little bit too perfect for you? Yeah, it, it made it, me think like how many like of those people. It felt like something bad was just about to happen. Yeah, how many of those people are accepting in the parade or how accepting bribes? 
or you know while the parade while everyone's off at the parade how much shady how much shady That's business is being conducted I'm like, there's something going on here, isn't there? Yeah. And I think in a darker sense also, how many of those people who are cheering on Satine are then only a few seasons later, probably less than a year or two in Star Wars penalty, are going to be cheering on the Death Watch, cheering on Previsal while he says, like, the old Mandalore is back and they're up on the balcony with their jetpacks yeah, and they're waving their guns in the air. Yeah, because those people are swayed way too easily, It's what we've seen. Yeah, it, it, it... It's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting idea. Absolutely. But... Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to talk specifically about why this corruption exists, what, what the political situation is on Mandalore in this two-part arc, which I think is, for somebody who, you know, like a lot of people, felt annoyed by the lack of explanation of the politics in the prequels, this was explained really well, in my opinion. Um, so what I got... Tell me if I got anything wrong. Due to the war and Mandalore's continued neutrality in said war, neither the Republic nor the Separatists are opening trade with Mandalore, so they have to be completely self-dependent, or, as Almec's going to say, rely completely on the black market for trade. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting situation, um, and... Another thing I want to point out is how confident Padme is. She's like, this is going to be fine. The Senate's going to give you support. The Senate's going to do the right and moral thing like the hundreds of times they've failed to do that in this war. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah, does Padme insane. think the Senate's going to do anything? She, if anyone knows how, like, you know, Palpatine says in Phantom Menace, the Senate is full of greedy, squabbling delegates. There's no interest in the common good she knows this firsthand her planet got friggin invaded by a bunch of nemoidian grubs what do you th what she thinks gonna happen it's shocking to me of pat you know uh in phantom menace palpatine says to nemoidians queen amidala is young and naive it's 11 12 years later what's changed you know what i mean yeah well i think one thing to keep in mind is that maybe she feels like she has to put the best put her put the republic's best foot forward and and re she's really trying to do everything she can to help out um to help out mandalore and even if that means kind of maybe being a little idealistic and taking a long shot in terms of help uh, in terms of uh getting help for mandalore i think that i think that that may be part of it and you know also i think i, I think this can kind of relate to often geopolitics a little bit where you know let's say that the republic functions a little bit like a like a giant country we might say with its national government you know a lot of times people will uh will rag and rag and rag on their own country but then but then you know also at the same time if if an outsider says something insulting or talks down you will you will kind of people will get pissed off i know I'll, I'll get pissed off even if i I'll be, I'll be talking all day about how much I hate the, I hate the politics in my country. And then someone else says something like, what did you say? What did you say? So I think that maybe a little bit of that same like dynamic applies here, where even though Padme knows all the bad things, she's still trying to put the Republic's best foot forward to, to get help for Mandalore. So I, I can understand where she's coming from, but I also see how it would make um, Satine kind of wary of the Republic. Also, I, I love this scene um, 
when there Satine's talking with Olmec and her advisors in her palace. Um, with when Padme's there, that scene is really interesting. I love that when Padme steps in and she's like, um, we can help you fix the corruption here. They're like, listen, lady, you come from the Republic. Yeah. Um, I made a meta. I made an analogy. Coming from the Republic and lecturing about corruption is basically the same as Darth Maul lecturing about embracing death. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though. It, it is. It is. You can't do yeah, it without I, looking like a complete and utter hypocrite. That's true, but at the same time, I think there is something to be said for kind of understanding that what about is um will only take you so far you know yeah like like i don't know it's, no, maybe I, there comes a point where you have to say you know if there's if there if there's something wrong at a certain point you gotta you gotta try and fix it no matter if someone else calling it is calling it wrong who is yeah. also doing something wrong you know and yeah and we actually get that like the whole um there's that line, um, I told uh, uh, Senator Amidala that Mandalore remained free from the war, yet here I find a battle in my own palace. Um, yeah. You know, it's that whole thing about government red tape, you know what I mean? There's like, there's too much deliberation and too little actual action. You yeah. know what I mean? There's that, that definitely reminds me of the prequel trilogy and how they yeah. were always... They're always that, talking about, oh, the Senate never does anything. They just set up subcommittees. And and like in and Phantom you Menace, the you know, when, in Phantom Menace, when Amidala says to, I think it's Palpatine, you know, the courts take even longer to decide things than the Senate. And we just <laughs> all look around and we're like, the Senate's taking forever. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't, we see um, that, like... In, isn't there an epi- doesn't a lot Dodd say that in supply lines also or something? Where, um, I also think he does do, say that. Also, there's that, um, there's that, you know, there's that throwaway line that's incredible from Attack of the Clones, where, um, where C.O. Bibble says that New Gunray is still the Viceroy of the Trade Federation after four trials in the court. Yeah. Four and trials. And I, I think that just, that just goes to show, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of corruption and a lot of what's the word not stagnation you get you get the gist deliberation there's a lot of deliberation here's a couple other things before we get directly to the hospital very shortly before when they're diluting the tea with the slaven first of all this you know what did you catch what color slaven is it's beautiful it's red right what the red it's red which is the color of the dark side that is just beautiful symbolism right there this is the most interesting part of this episode. The smugglers who, by the way, they were designed after ancient Egyptians, right? That's not just me, right? Yeah, I think they definitely had a had that look to them, like the um like in some of the um paintings and carvings with the Yeah. The like come on, that was that was too obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. To me at least. But uh anyway, um I thought they were working for the separatists. No, I thought that it. That's that's they a possibility. Aren't. They aren't. They, they aren't. aren't. But I uh, thought before they were working for the separatists. Oh, how it's come? Intri- 
I don't know. It's just like a, it's like a, it's, you know, that's assumption, you know. Um, yeah. They always look make... to make the separatists like green aliens. So it, it kind of makes sense to assume that, I guess. No, I, oh, I was just thinking like they were hired out by the separatists to do this thing. Yeah, that, that's, they... a, that's a possibility. Yeah. Like, I, don't think, could... I don't think it actually is true, but like, I just, it's interesting to see somebody pulling the strings behind the scenes that's not working for dooku or palpatine yeah there's that conversation um that padme and um satine have at dinner before they see the hospital hospital first one there are times where i wish i could follow mandalore's lead neutrality and not just in the war and what i thought first i thought two things number one uh not just the war and then satine replies but the politics as well and I followed them, not just the war, but the, but politics, the politics and the customs too. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! They're like civilized people, so I followed them like civilized people. Also, I love the fact that um, Padme says she wants to follow Satine's customs, and then Obi Wan, if we flash back to the last arc, says, "Had you said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order." It shows us how strong of a person ideologically. Satine is when two people that she is very close with both admit that she's right in everything she does and that they want to follow her you know what I mean not everything that's a little exaggeration but like you know you know what I'm trying to say yeah absolutely I think the hospital the the the, the first kind of shot where we pan through and we just see all the sick children is just so powerful because yeah I don't know the way that they set it the way that they set it up the build up and that feels like the th th that, this scene, I should say, feels like the payoff of this buildup that we have with the various scenes with the smuggler showing like him like taking the bribe and kind of positioning himself to take a bribe. And then and then showing the other guy say, isn't it toxic? The, the T operator, I guess, the tank operator and them saying not in the right dose, get it right and forcing him to put it in the slab. And it just it's so powerful because it, it kind of feels like, you know, you, you thought these things weren't that bad. Boom. There you go. A hospital filled with sick children. It just, it, it felt as though it were directly saying, this is the result of greed. Money yeah. is the mo money is the most dangerous weapon. Look at what it's done. I've, isn't there a line in like one of these two episodes? Yes, the most yes. dangerous weapon is money in the galaxy. It's in this weapon. Captain. Yeah. Um, Satine says it. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's later in this episode. Um, yeah. It, it's really, it's, it's, it's a really good payoff. I agree with you. The most interesting thing that happens here is Almec. Almec's really Almec's reaction to this is really interesting because he doesn't care about the children; he cares about the politics. Um, I'm gonna reference again one of my favorite um, other geek uh, properties out there, which is the Harry Potter franchise. Um, Almec, in this case, reminds me of Cornelius Fudge who repeatedly ignores the threat of Voldemort so that he can keep his job um, when really acknowledging the threat of Voldemort and preparing the Wizarding World for chaos would have made him a hero. You know, Dumbledore even says it himself to him. Um, and that it reminds me of Olmec in this case because, you know, if Olmec were really truly worried about the sick children he would keep his job so much easier than 
if you were spending all that time worrying about keeping his job. Yeah. Here's a funny coincidence in the show, specifically with Mandalore, but also just generally. If a villain, if, if we don't know somebody is bad, the key, the key thing that, to show us that they are bad in this arc is them conveniently running away when the heroes get too close to figuring out the truth. Oh yeah, it happened it, uh, last oh. Mandalore arc too. Like, what's the, what's like that is so not smart. It's like an instant giveaway that that guy's a bad guy. You know what I mean? The the first school superintendent. It's like it's ridiculous. It must be a it must be a Mandalore thing though. It must be a it must be yeah. a Mandalorian thing. Yeah, Wait, because we should see, really get that checked out twice. <laughs> yeah, we she should yeah. we um, should send out a, a memo to the police to say if someone runs away. Like just go after them because then <laughs> just keep going just, yeah just ignore everyone else if if someone runs away clearly they're the they're the prime suspect now everyone else is in the everyone else is on the sidelines now when they find out like they, when they start going down the chain of who's corrupt in this their confessions are hilarious to me the first guy's like i might be guilty and they're like you disgusting human being how could you there are other people who are worse, though. That makes it better, right? I'm like, no, no, man. That does not make it better. And then the next guy was like, sure, I bribed the school official. What's the problem? Yeah, that that one to me was shocking. I couldn't... That, uh, how, how could he not be arrested then and there? Yeah, that was... Like, it, I mean, you know, as as you have been tell, you know, it just goes to show the... Um, the things that people think they can get away with you know what i mean yeah i mean that guy was running the straight business out of that stuff you know what i mean like that guy was lying back in his chair you know like that kind of thing you know it was made clear at least to me that he had been doing this whole corrupt business operation thing for quite a long time this was not a new venture you know what i mean yeah um, absolutely also about this episode is how we got to see we got, I feel like we got to see a different side of Satine, you know? She got it, she kind of went ham in this episode. She was she was, she was intense here. And she was Yeah, she, she was very intense. You know, the way she was just kind of interrogating people, getting really angry, you know, and usually she's so she's so even keeled. I guess not yes, with Obi Wan and well, I was about to say, when she's not on the arguing with Obi Wan, so even keeled. But you I mean, really hear it in her calm tone when she said the sarcasm of a soldier. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, to be fair, this this feels different just because she's she's out and she it seems like she's almost on the line of maybe giving up her uh, her nonviolence, you know? Yeah, that, that, that I kind of I, I thought that was interesting. And I I would have liked to see them push that a bit more and maybe see what see what happens to her. But, you know, I, I still think it was a cool development. But I guess that brings us to one of the uh, one of the aspects of Satine kind of maybe maybe going a bit wild, which is why did she order the warehouse to be burned? To be burned, yes. So I think it was as a symbol thing. Yeah, just saying I, like we're we're not. This messing is what around happens anymore. to corruption here on Mandalore. You want to be next? I mean, it's it's actually quite a fear tactic, which seems almost like the opposite of what Satine would do. I think Satine realizes that under such a harsh environment, you know, sure the bad guys have been captured, but where were they doing this all? Mandalore, you know, 
she wants to make Mandalore a no corruption zone, a corruption free zone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I think that's what it is. My I, that leads me to one of my favorite things of this episode when Satine asked Almec what he's going to do about this. Uh, he says, "I'm setting up a committee to look into it." And you, you know what that reminded me of? What? I was not elected to uh, to watch my people die while you discussed this invasion in a committee. Oh yeah. Padme was sitting right across from him. You know, this is the red tape thing. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Olmec, as we're gonna find out next episode, may not be the best guy, and delaying a condemnation of the black market in such a way seems perfect for that next episode which we're going to get into one one cool thing that i uh, that i found out though trivia wise was that the bottles the of tea the they teeth on them what the bottles of tea that the children are drinking in this yeah. episode say arties on them who is arty i don't know but this Do they was have the, the same drink <laughs> They have the teas. They have, they the, have the teas. Arties. We have the slabs. We have the tea. No, but it, this was uh, what made this interesting to me is that this is the same drink that originally Obi Wan was supposed to order at Dex's diner in Attack of the Clones. Of course, then they changed that to Jawa juice. Yeah. Why they did, I don't know. What is Jawa juice? Is that offensive to Jawas? Do can Jawas drink Jawa juice? Is it actually made of Jawas? There's yeah. a lot of questions there. Another so, thing I was thinking oh, of I is it, if for a Jawa juice, it may just look like a Jawa. You know what I mean? Yeah. It may be like, I don't know. It may look like a Jawa. I don't know how it would look like a Jawa. Um, anyway, in the Academy, spurred on by the events of um, corruption in which children are poisoned due to government corruption, Satine decides the best course of action is for Ahsoka Tano to teach a class to the young Mandalorian leaders of the future in, a, in the Royal Mandalorian Academy uh, on corruption. Um, Ahsoka teaches this class. Um, a group of um, young people led by Corgi Kenobi. Sorry, 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 sorry. Corgi Christ. <laughs> I see um, what you did there. I made two references in there. Did you catch oh. both of them? Oh, I don't know if I caught the first one. Corgi. I'm... Do you remember from oh, our stream? Gosh. Oh, forgive me. Oh, oh. When will it end? <laughs> I'm calling this when guy Corgi Kenobi until I die. Corgi Kenobi. <laughs> anyway. Corgi Kenobi until the day we die. Okay, uh, fine. Anyway, so um, a group led by uh, Corgi, who is Satine's nephew, um, break into a Mandalorian warehouse, and they find a pretty shady meeting. They go report it to Satine, who says, yeah, get over yourselves. Um, yeah, this is she, fine. Was, um, she was not very sympathetic at that, first. That, uh, then they go to Almec, who is, reveals he is behind this whole thing. Um, has them, uh, Ahsoka makes a plan, has them fake captured. Eventually, she frees them, and, they, um, and in the face of having Satine sign a confession to her, quote, treasonous ways, they instead imprison Olmec for his treasonous ways of using the black market against the Mandalorian people. Yeah, there's more details in the episode that we'll figure out, but that's the nuts and bolts. 
the fortune cookie we're looking at is those who enforce the law must obey the law. This is an interesting fortune cookie because for me, I could I can think of a hell of a lot of ways that this isn't true in in our universe in real life. But uh, but go and on, not Star Wars. It is true. Go on, Filoni. Go ahead. Go they're, ahead. Prove they're not saying wrong. it is true. They're saying it should be true. Yes, that is that is and, that could be the case. And, that could well and, be the case. And I agree. You know, it's the whole nobody is above the law sort of thing. The law is made for a reason for people to follow it for the betterment of society. You, of course, can and should change those laws if they get they get outdated or don't work or if they are hurting people but if they're doing none of the things you should obey the law um you know i i was thinking about palpatine you know emergency powers and delegations and you know all the stuff to give himself more power um and if he eventually just says screw it and turns the republic into an empire that's not putting himself at the same level of the, as the law that's putting himself above the law which is exactly what this episode is advocating against. This is, you know, how the Republic um, turns into the Empire, is that, you know, politicians give themselves so much power, and everyone just sits back and goes, yeah, fine, okay, sure. Um, I think this does get proven true by a, in a sort of broader cyclical karmic sense, you know, even if you don't face consequences directly, um, if, if you are someone who is supposed to be enforcing the law and you're not obeying the law yourself, you know, in the long run, trust in you and, and your enforcement of the law will erode over time. Oh gosh, take a shot for every time I've said er the trust will erode or the trust has eroded in this episode. My goodness. Hey, I really hey, need hey, to hey, <laughs> if you say it 20 more times this episode, you will still have not said it as much as you've said the Jedi has lost their way in the history of this show, so... Oh, oh, true. Oh, forgive me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. okay. Yeah. But anyway, I think that overall, I do think you can still still inevitably face consequences if, uh, if what you do uh, comes to light. That being said, though, I think that um, this is definitely a bit more of an idealistic uh idealistic way to see things of you maybe it's a bit more of a you have to obey the law like you should not not um again you gotta think of what these fortune cookies are made for i i don't think we had this discussion but we should you know there's that um there's that line lucas said i made star wars for 12 year olds these fortune cookies above everything else are little pieces of wisdom for 12-year-olds. That's what they are. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, setting them up with this idea of how the law works and how people who enforce the law should operate is nothing but, in my opinion, a good idea. So I think we get a pretty, uh, I don't want to call it, I don't want to call it boilerplate, but... I think we get a pretty um, a pretty uh, surface level examination of corruption in the form of Ahsoka's little uh, a lecture that she gives. Um, actually, I um, I actually kind of disagree 
there's a there's a line about corruption that's fascinating to me and i thought you would have lost your mind at so maybe you didn't uh see this meaning which is you know like that sounded pompous but um what i meant was like maybe you didn't catch this um there's that line but temptation is always there and citizens must be vigilant so corruption can't take root I looked at that line, and I'm like, wait, is this line about corruption, or is this line about the Jedi and the dark side? Yeah, I mean, you could you could see it that way. I think that Ahsoka kind of has to face some of these similar yeah. corruption-oriented questions in this episode, so it's not just about Mandalore, I think. Yeah, it's like, you know, temptation to the dark side is always there, and we must be vigilant in order to keep ourselves from slipping too often. Like, that's the reasonable way of the Jedi. That's the way the Jedi are supposed to be. That's the way Ahsoka will later view the Jedi. Or at least what they're supposed to be. Ahsoka's entire speech on corruption sounds like her exposing the flaws within the prequel Jedi. But I'm reading too much into that, right? Right? Quote, the Jedi lost their way, Jacob, right? <laughs> this this kind of corruption message also applies to Ahsoka, not necessarily in the fact that she's going to go to the dark side in these episodes, but, you know, she finds herself at one point kind of, kind of, um, maybe being a little bit too passive and kind of forgetting what it means to be a Jedi because she's constantly being told, you know, be patient, be patient, be patient. Don't, don't step in. Don't do anything rash. Stay out of trouble by, um, by Ahsoka and Anakin. Although Anakin is probably quite, Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Obi-Wan and Anakin, even though Obi-Wan is probably, or Anakin is probably a bit of a hypocrite for, for, uh, for telling her that to the point where, um, is it Corky? Who maybe says you sound, you sound, you like, sound my like my aunt, aunt in quotation marks. You sound like my aunt Satine. Um, I thought you were a Jedi Knight. I think. I, I think. Um, side note: I think it's kind of funny how uh, how many people in this episode refer to Ahsoka as a Jedi Knight and a Jedi Master. I don't think Mace Windu would be. I, I was think, about I to say. First yeah, of I, all, I, citizen. Second of all, look what happens I'm, to her master. I know. I mean. I'm, uh, let's just be glad that Mace Windu isn't here to correct them because that would not be pretty. Um, that would not be pretty. You know, you know that, that image of people having like the explosions in their their eyes. Yeah, that's Mace Windu <laughs> yeah, right that's now. Just, that's Mace Windu. He's gonna go off. <laughs> He's um, gonna go off. Uh, no, yeah. My favorite thing is how much the Jedi in this episode. I, this is an interesting thing. You know, the public is supposed to be losing their trust in the Jedi during the prequel trilogy, because that's what Palpatine wants to do. And he's still doing that, but like, you know, but on such like, you know, worlds like Mandalore, the Jedi are still treated with a quite large amount of reverence. You know, there's that, I hate to bring it around to this movie because Jacob's gonna dislike me for the next 30 seconds. No, I'm um, not. Uh, but, um, you know, because I was Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, because I was a legend, um, you know, there's that idea of the idealization of the Jedi, of the legend of the Jedi, of the, you know, and, yeah, and we definitely. see that in practice here, you know. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, you bring up a really good point. We see it in practice, but, you know, one thing I want to point out is that there's probably a a, a lot of disconnection and maybe differences between the mythology of the Jedi and what the Jedi represent 
in terms of the stories that have been passed down and kind of the way they've been ingrained into the imagination of the galaxy versus the political reality of who they are and what they're doing yeah. at the time of the Clone Wars. Also, clearly, I think I think it's probably a pretty, uh, it's probably, I'm guessing, been pretty politicized by this point within the galaxy. And it's probably a political stance as well as just... Um, as, as well as one Jedi of our anti the Jedi. Yeah, are you pro Jedi? Are you anti Jedi? Yeah. And that's going to be complicated by you know, have you been told stories that are pro Jedi or anti Jedi? Have you grown up revering the Jedi and their mythical powers, or have Do you, you socialize with people who are you know? Yeah, or or have you, or have you been told the horror stories of of the Jedi? Are they are they heroes to you, or are they bloodthirsty, elitist like Tyrant. mystery wizard? tyrannical like bloodsuckers like sitting in their sitting in their temple on Coruscant and like using the force to meld minds and stuff so I think there's a great deal of difference and and a great deal of possibilities of what different people imagine the Jedi to be and I think that's how we see the Jedi get treated there's that idea differently of you know the galaxy finds out pretty early that Dooku was once a Jedi and depending on who you thought that said more about was is your political stance you know what i mean it's like yeah do you think that's if you think that says more about dooku then you're pro jedi if you think it says more about the jedi then you're anti-jedi you know what i mean exactly and i think it's not hard if we're going to take a deep dive into the politics of this where um i think it's going to be a it's not hard to imagine that this was a big selling point for many for dooku and something that got dooku popularity was the fact that um, in a lot of people who are maybe more uh, prejudiced, if I can bring up your, yeah. uh, Actually, your wordy I, lie, I don't have a very hard time imagining that Dooku probably gained a lot of popularity in part by kind of confirming people's biases about the Jedi yeah. and, and people pointing people who already didn't trust the Jedi, didn't like the Jedi, had some negative preconceived notions saying, um, oh, look, there's Dooku. He's renounced the Jedi. Look at him. He's a big shot. Like, He's trustworthy, and, and to a lot of people, Dooku was really a positive figure. Let's not forget. He's calling out the BS of the Jedi, you know. Um, yeah, and, and they're saying, like, oh, look, he's, yeah. like, the fact that he left proves everything I've thought about the Jedi, which, that unfortunately, this happens the, in the real world all the time. The, that reverence of the Jedi, by the way, has caused me to figure to invent a derivation of prejudice. What is it? Reverse prejudice. Oh, or, what's the... or I could call it positive prejudice. Have you heard of the term positive racism? Positive racism. Would that be like... If you say something about a group of people that sounds like it's good, but is actually just racist. Oh, like the model... Min- Are you talking about like the model minority yes, myth? Yes, I'm talking about... A because really minority. it's harm... Even though it sounds like it's a compliment, it's actually still yes. very harmful. This is, yes. this is, this is positive prejudice. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, but exactly. you're a Jedi. Yeah. You should be better than that. You know what I mean? And then, and then that makes them disappointed when she says, "I can't go rogue" or or yeah. whatever. You know? It may, and, and it makes obviously. You know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to compare when... Star Wars. I'm not trying to compare someone not liking a Jedi in Star Wars to racism. But no. I think it's an interesting parallel no, to think about. I, nonetheless, I'm not trying to either. I'm just saying, I you can see the it, it's an example to explain when I'm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, it's that it's why Ray is so flabbergasted when Luke won't walk out and face the First Order with a laser sword. 
um, instantly after she talks to him on Octo. First, I want to make a reference. Lagos, who's one of the cadets, has a bad feeling about this. Really? Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, must, must have I gravitate that. Yeah, yeah. that like nothing else. Um, uh, also, what's the problem with the Mandalorian police force? Yeah, they they seem to have some real corrupt. They seem to have some corruption issues for like, sure. You know, they suck. Both these two episodes, they suck. They they're terrible at their jobs because half of them are turning against the good the interests of the Mandalorian society. You know what I mean? Half of them. It's yeah. Well, incredible. I think that just goes to show how uh, how um how widespread you know abusive power. Yeah, can be, and and also possibly some uh, so, some some of them are just getting maybe confused and and misled because you know we have these two uh these two police officers, Mandalorian police standing in front of the warehouse and and saying to the captain of the police, we've been ordered not to open it. Well, who ordered you? You know, so you yeah. start to see kind of the the tangled web, as it were. I think. Yeah. Also, um. Here's a question. Here's one of my biggest questions with this episode. Why does Satine dismiss the cadets? I... It, it doesn't make sense to me. A good explanation for that question is never given to me. It's not why... It's it's not, by the way, it's not why she doesn't think... She doesn't want them handling it. It's why she appears to have done nothing afterwards. What's her plan? I want Admiral Holdo to tell me what's Satine's plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe Satine is trying to protect. I mean, you know, here's an idea. Look, earlier in the episode, you know, we see, um, oh gosh, what's the prime minister's name? Almec, correct? We see Almec kind of um fall under Satine's suspicion when she says. He seems to care a lot more about the Death Watch and politics than he does about about the the kids. So I think there is a possibility. Maybe this is a stretch, but I think there's a possibility that she maybe suspected him and then was trying to keep was trying to keep the kids. Here's another thing I just realized. This is a weird logistical problem. Ahsoka's teaching like an entire class of like twenty kids in there, right? What are the other 16 kids doing when four of them admit to illegal break-in and, you know, like, to, to like, a government facility and, like, like, is just time just freezing for them? Why are none of them, like, doing anything? It is a, a bit questionable when you're watching it, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, I understand it's, like, an animation model thing, but, like, seriously, though. Yeah. So then Ahsoka and... Uh, Ahsoka leads the kids into capture. Um, by the way, Ahsoka's so good at acting here. It's kind of crazy how good Star Wars characters are at acting sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. like she has to like confess to a traitorous government, um, and try to trick them, and she does that so incredibly well. Although this is the episode where we get the iconic, uh, reaction meme image of Ahsoka rolling her eyes so i think that is worth noting potentially Definitely. and i do like that um 
I have to say I was a little disappointed to see how Ahsoka popped up in this episode because I I was anticipating the redesign, but I was mistaken. And I think that's that actually happens. Yeah, that actually happens. Heroes on both sides, which yeah. uh, that's season four, correct? No, that's season three. Oh, so it's coming soon. Okay. okay. That is I'm, like one or two episodes from now. Let me check. Oh, actually, man. I'm, I'm looking that forward is, to that. I can, I can tell you right now, actually, that is three episodes from now. Assassin. This episode is all about visions, as Yoda says. Impossible to predict. The future is. Always in motion is the future. I probably butchered that quote because I said future twice. I don't think that was what the intention was. But here we go. You know, Ahsoka. She has visions, and it turns out that she thinks Aura Singh is still alive. And she thinks that Aura Singh, or her visions think that Aura Singh, is going to try to assassinate Padme at this conference. So she goes with Padme as her bodyguard. Eventually, it turns out that, yes, Aura Singh is indeed still alive. She survived the crash. Hondo pulled her out of the wreckage. So, you know, we end up getting some... uh, some great uh, assassination attempt to action. Um, Ahsoka uh, twice actually um, defeats Aura Singh or prevents her from assassinating Padme and Aura Singh. Uh, she eventually gets the best of Aura Singh and saves the day for Padme. Absolutely. Let's go to our fortune cookie. The future has many paths. Choose wisely. Star Wars is always about choosing your own destiny. And this episode's a good example of that, you know. That whole Anakin says yes, Luke says no thing that I mentioned a few episodes back applies here, you know. I need him. I am a Jedi like my father before me. And Rey Skywalker are all three about the choices that we are making to determine who we are and what our future is going to look like. Our destiny is determined by us. You know, yeah. our destiny does not determine us. We determine our destiny. That's what this episode's about. Absolutely. I think that, um, I think that, you know, as Yoda says, always in motion, the future is. And I think that's definitely the case here. And often in Star Wars, it, it seems as though some when you act on a vision, you end up making it come true. Look at um, you know, look at Anakin and the uh, yep. vision of Padme dying in childbirth. You know, he he chooses the ability to save Padme instead of choosing Padme. Like for crying yeah. out loud, it's it's also yeah. you gotta love the fact that this episode is about Ahsoka wanting to save Padme from dying, and Revenge of the Sith is about Anakin wanting to save Padme from dying. I'm just imagining Anakin going, um, Anakin going. Uh, talking to Padme about um, saving her from her nightmares and from her, his nightmares and run to the Sith, and Padme going, "Really, this shit again?" <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Been gosh. there, done that. Oh, dude. Yeah. It, oh gosh. Oh my goodness. Let's let's shout out my least favorite Star Wars trope of all time. What is okay. your least favorite trope of all time? People coming back from the dead. Oh my gosh. Chronologically, it starts here. It goes Wait, really? Aura. This is the first one. Yeah. It, it goes Aura, Maul, Trench, Echo, Boba Fett, Phasma, Palpatine. 
That's the order that I got. Anyway, yeah. half of them are ridiculous. Sorry, most of them are ridiculous. There's only one that I actually, of all of those, buy. There's only one that I buy of all of those. And you're going to be shocked which one it is. Which one do you buy? Palpatine. Is the only really? one that I buy. Because he's the only one pow powerful enough to save himself from dying. Mm. Like, okay. That's that's it. Because he's like Darth Maul somehow survived being cut in half on his pain and anger. Really, you're gonna try and convince me of that? He's a Sith Lord. Yeah, but he's not really that powerful, is he? He's not he's like a, again. I'll say it again. He's a Sith Lord. That's that's my stance on it. I guess. Okay. I don't know. We'll get to it when we get to it in season four of the Clone Wars. But in my opinion, if you think, it, I think it's a little ridiculous if people think um, Palpatine surviving was was crazy, but then brush off Maul surviving like it was nothing because they're basically the same to me. I guess the opening kind of blends together, so we can kind of lump the first yeah. ten minutes in. Well, like I for example, think... I want to see Anakin's story on Baylith. I wanted to see want to see Anakin yeah. stopping that civil war on Baylith. Do we ever get to see that? No. Do I want to see it? Yes. I also want to see that time on Cannondamoidia and the swarm of Venomites on Raboon. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, I there should so. be a book series. There should be a new book series, which is just all of those references we made in the Clone Wars into actual adventures. Personally, I'm not too shocked. That Aura Singh comes back. Um, I'm not either. I think it. I don't know. I mean, she definitely could have used more, uh, like like more episodes. I think that it would have been kind of a shame to cut her out of the story so soon because I think she is a pretty unique. So I think this is her last major episode villain. of the Clone Wars, actually. So, really? Yeah. Are you sure? I could have sworn there were a few more. Either way, I do, I do, I don't mind her presence. I think I don't. Uh, no, I like her. She's good, yeah. I don't mind know. it. We see that as much as Anakin is Ahsoka's older brother, Padme is Ahsoka's older sister, and something yeah. that she really needs. Padme is under no obligation to like help Ahsoka with all of her struggles with all these visions, but she does it. You know what I mean? Every single time. Did you catch the score when they arrived on Alderaan? I did, yes. It was uh, it was oh, Leia's theme, correct? It was Leia's theme. I'm like, oh, really, Kevin Kiner? You gotta hit me there. Yeah, that was a. I thought that was a pretty great moment. I forgot to mention that, but it's like going to Tatooine and playing Binary Sunset. Yeah, really great you, moment. You I... don't do that without just expecting to me, me to be angry at you um, <laughs> for your boldness. I really like that they they gave us a little taste of Alderaan because I think yeah. For so long, it was just this idyllic planet that we never really got to see, but it was just supposed to be so yeah. idyllic until they destroyed it. And we got, you know, I, I like getting like to see a little in, bit of that. We got to see it for two seconds in uh, Sith, but yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much it appeared in Legends. Probably a pro probably more a bit, but yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, in canon, I guess we did get the Leia, the Leia novel, which does. A lot of that does take place on the ground, but you know, I, I don't think it's really the same as seeing it on the screen. And oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I like how um, I like how they work it in a little bit without trying to make it too much of a a, a sob moment, a big sad moment. I gotta say, these assassination attempts 
the way they're scored, the way they're shot, are some of the most beautiful sequences in like this season, just in general. I think, like the way, like you, we really get that sense of a thriller. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very, very suspenseful. I think, and they really do an excellent job of making us see kind of the fear and urgency that Ahsoka is going through. And how, like, to an outside perspective, it may seem like, oh, you're just being paranoid. But, you know, these these Force Visions, clearly, they're very, they're very intense. And I think it just, it just kind of reminds me to, you know, have, have empathy for, for people and their actions. Because you never know what someone else is actually experiencing. And you never know how different people might manifest uh, stress yeah. or worry. By the way. Why was Padme giving two speeches? I mean, it was it was cool to see the decoy that they used, but in the end, it, I feel like it ended up not mattering that much because we ended up having the, that's the bedroom confrontation anyway. That's oh, that's not what you meant. What did you mean? So there's there are two assassination attempts. Yes. Both times Padme's giving a speech. Yes. What was the first speech? What, what do you mean? It was a speech about... I know, but that was her, her main, like, that. Then she says after that, oh, but the main event's coming up. What was that I first guess, one? I guess it was a, a warm-up event, maybe. Maybe she, maybe she was her own opener. Maybe she opened for herself. <laughs> maybe she's like, you know what, no one else is. I mean, I mean, clearly, the Clone War, one thing that the Clone Wars really, really tries to impress upon us is that Padme Amidala seems to have almost supernatural public speaking and negotiation abilities so maybe she just no, thought she to herself doesn't. you know what i know but that's that's what they that's what they keep implying even though they don't well, ever they show keep it telling really. us i see what yeah they mean. keep telling us and you know i think a few episodes ago we did kind of discuss how the clone wars does kind of break the show don't tell rule when it comes to when it comes to padme and her uh her public speaking yeah i, de- I definitely agree um yeah um i also love the line that padme um says that um if you strike my voice voice down know that a chorus of thousands shall rise up in its place did that sound familiar to you oh yes that definitely sounds familiar to me i shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine so what we're saying is between this and hello there obi-wan kenobi is the biggest one-liner copycat in the entire galaxy Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah. I. Uh, I I also love um, when um, Ahsoka says um at the end of the episode, Ahsoka says to Padme that some that Aura Singh, uh, the person who hired Aura Singh wanted revenge on Padme for something that Padme did to them. You know that meme? Do you have any idea how little that narrows it down? Yeah, that that yeah that that is exactly what that I is the it. exact that Padme has done so many bad things to terrible people. Like that's her job at yeah, this point. It is like every. It seems like everyone has a chip on their shoulder about Padme. You have the you have the Nemoidians of the Trade Federation. You have Palpatine, the Lesser. You have even Palpatine, Dooku, like. Every everyone is literally everyone everyone is scared of her. Is everyone is scared of her. Everyone hates her. Um Yeah. And then of course we find out that um 
that uh, the person who hired Aura Singh, or rather the creature that hired Aura Singh, was indeed the infamous Zero the Hut. Oh, Zero. Zero, Zero, Zero. So Why we're getting him back again, I have no idea. How it's set up is beautiful, but like that it's happening is just terrible. Yeah. So remind me, this Zero seems to be one of these characters that is really, really heavily caught in the crossfire of the confusing chronology of the Clone Wars. Yes. So was, here's wow, what this is. That was a lot up. of C words in one yeah. episode. <laughs> so, here, so here's what's happening, okay? Not this episode of In a Galaxy, but two episodes from now. This is episode 46. We're talking about episode 48. Yeah. Episode 48 are these three episodes. Evil Plans, which is Season 3, Episode 8. Hostage Crisis, which is Season 1, Episode 21. And Hunt for Zero, which is Season 3, Episode 9. So, it's basically mostly Season 3, but there is an episode from Season 1 stuck in there. Basically, Assassin, Evil Plans, and Hunt for Zero are meant to explain why... Zero and Cad Bane held the Senate hostage in Hostage Crisis. Yeah. So don't think of don't think of Hostage Crisis as a badly placed episode. Think of uh, Assassin Hunt for Zero and Evil Plants as really bad exposition, like really badly placed <laughs> exposition. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. It, think of it like the prequel trilogy. The prequel trilogy was exposition that was made after the fact uh, it's very confusing i don't blame you oh yeah when ahsoka is at the computer in the jedi library the first criminal that she is scrolling through in the profiles is none other than banamu yeah i saw a little that fish goblin who stole her lightsaber previously that might be racist but we don't know um... oh gosh yes it, it probably is i apologize <laughs> The dark strip of makeup across Aura Singh's eyes is supposed to be an homage to a, a character who I cannot remember the name of from Blade Runner, but I just remember reading that oh, on Star Wars. Oh, uh, it's, um, I know what you're talking about. It's played by Daryl Hannah. It is played um, by Daryl Hannah, yes. Pris is the name of the character. Mm, yes. How do you rank these three episodes, Jacob? Hmm. That's a good question. I think they were all pretty equal to me, but they they all had their they all had their different strengths. I think I would rank Assassin first. Interesting. Then the Academy, then Corruption. But they are all I'm, very close. I'm of course you're going to be shocked, and I'm completely different from you. Number one, the Academy. Number two, Corruption. Number three, uh, Assassin. Um. Uh. Yeah. None of these were great. In my opinion, none of these were awesome. Um, we're getting to some really good episodes, but none of these were incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it for our main meat of the episode. Now we're getting to everyone's favorite part of In a Galaxy. What you've brought me today is worth one quarter portion. Nice. It's time for okay, everyone's I'm favorite part of, part of the show. So, um, it was gonna. It, it would usually be this month. What we usually be doing, it would usually be this month, but we decided uh, we were bored, and so we wanted to do a quick rank from the episode we did with Pink Milk, and that's so so that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Um, Jacob and I have both categories, and we're going to both talk about our top fives in those categories. Uh, Jacob, why don't you do yours first? All right. So, 
Eli, could you please give me your top five clone troopers? Clone troopers. We're talking about um, Rex at number one. I would say uh, Rex at number one. Wolf at number two. Uh, I would say Echo at number three. I would say Cutlaw... No, sorry. Rex at number one. Cutlaw Quain at number two. Wolf at number three. Um, I would say... Who was I going to say? Echo at number four. And Fives at number five. Nice. Yeah, I figured that one out a little too late. What, what's yours? Top five clone troopers. For me, my number one would be Fives, for sure. My number two, it's got to be Rex. Number three, I am going with I'm gonna go with a waxer for number three gotta love waxer number four Gregor and number five Cutlaw Queen ah uh, yes M my boy um here's a fun fun one that's a little more specific that so you might a little more time for this one what are your top five Star Wars stories for world building uh, define Star Wars story anything mm, top five star wars stories for world building this is a good one and number five for best world building really great great question by the way i'm almost sad that i didn't have more time to think about this my number five would have to be attack of the clone interesting i think that this really has a lot of world building you know i think the nightclub scene is really awesome you know a lot of people don't like the politics and of this and admittedly there maybe is a little it's more not about the walking and world building so yeah i know but i'm saying maybe there's a little more wall i'm getting it maybe there's a little more walking and talking oh, yeah. than what would be necessary but this does contribute to the amazing world building and it's actually one of the things that i've really come around to really really like about attack of the clones is how yeah. how how much it serves to expand the feel of, of the star wars universe and make it feel so much more large and, and expansive and complete yeah. In number four, the Phantom Menace. I think it does many of the same things that Attack of the Clone Wars. Attack of the, I almost said, almost said Attack of the, Attack Clone, of the Clone Wars. Wars. And yeah, um, Attack of the Clones does. I think it does many of the same things. You know, with the pod race, everything on Tatooine, um, a little bit Naboo as well, but really Tatooine. I think really just getting to see a little bit more of the lives of regular people, um, and and seeing some of the intersections of many people. You know. The Bunta Eve classic, um, the the marketplace, um, the uh, the the Watto's um, Watto's home, Watto's shop, Anakin's home, the junkyard. Yeah, I think it all just yeah. getting to see kind of the day to day life really brought really brought it to life for me. Okay. Yeah. Number three, this is going to be a group one because it's not just one story, but I think that the legends comp the star wars legends comics of the original trilogy era are just fantastic interesting they are so good i can i can just think of so many just going to the library all the time picking some out just just pouring through them and just not being able to put them down and as once i checked them out until the time that i finished them and then i would go back and reread them again i just loved something something about something about them just really made the universe feel feel so complete 
for that time period. And they, they so perfectly complemented the, the feel of the original trilogy. And I really, I really liked what they did. A lot of the, uh, the Marvel era comics. I thought they're fantastic. Number two. My number two spot is going to be the Clone Wars. I think this one is a little bit uh, self-explanatory. You know, you get to see a lot of different planets. I say as I don't have it on my list, but okay. Oh wow! Well, I'm excited to see what your list is going to have. And my number one spot. This may be a little surprising. It's got to be Rebels because with go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about to go off. <laughs> Warning: If you don't want to hear me rant about Rebels, just skip ahead a minute or so, and you'll be fine. Maybe two minutes. Who knows? I like Rebels because we spend so much more time on one planet, on Lothal, than we do in almost any other on-screen Star Wars media. Maybe, period. We, 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 oh, gosh. I really feel like we get to know Lothal I would tell you and the its Colossus, people. but okay. That's fine. Okay, the Colossus. That is fair. That is fair, but I, I just... No, I, just, I get it. Just it. You have a specific same. tie to Rebels, so... Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I like... I, I love the Colossus. I love... I love the resistance for what it is, but for me, Rebels hits different. So I'm, I'm going with Rebels. I really think that we get an intimate look at the the economy of Lothal, the 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 um the way everything works, the people, the zeitgeist, and we see how much it changes between season one and season four, and then the rebel the Rebels epilogue and the flashbacks. We get like four distinct looks at this one place. Yeah, it, it just feels like we get to intimately know this one community in Lothal like Capital Lothal's City. Yeah, it's like Lothal's a character. There you go. You said it okay. better than I could. My list is going to shock you in many ways. Um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very I'm excited to this. tell you. Number five, shocking pick for the first one: the rise of Skywalker. Let's talk wow. about world building. Let's talk about Exegol, the shadowy Sith world that's just so cool and so creepy. We get an entirely new look at the Sith in this almost gothic horror idea. We get the look at Pasana as this almost like, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's a different kind of desert planet. It's almost this like, it's, it's like, it's, it's like Tatooine, but it's almost a little bit more wild. You know, we got those like, sinking fields and the akiaki and you know we get to see all that stuff in there and we get to see you know the snowy forests of kajimi and the oceans of kefir there's some really interesting worlds in the rise of skywalker number four i'm surprised actually i'm not surprised i didn't hear this from you but okay number four jedi fallen order Talk about spending Ooh. a lot of time places. The number of times I've gone through labyrinths on Zepho or uh, or treaded through the forests of Kashyyyk or gone in the underwater tunnels of Nur. That's some good stuff. You know what I mean? That's some that's some really interesting planet development. Speaking of planet development though in video games, let's talk about Knights of the Old Republic, which is my number 3. The development of Terrace, the development, the greater development of worlds like Tatooine and Kashyyyk, the development of worlds like Dantooine and Manan and Korriban. That's some really interesting development right there. I love how they develop Terrace and Korriban especially. There's some really good stuff there. Uh, number two, which I almost put at number one, but I couldn't. Number two, The Empire Strikes Back. 
a swamp world, an ice world, an asteroid field, the mouth of a giant space worm. These were concepts <laughs> yeah. that a, a city in the clouds. These were concepts that until 1980, you couldn't imagine seeing in a Star Wars movie. Um, and so Empire Strikes Back. Number one, I don't think you should be surprised by this. I think this is, I think you can probably see where this, this is where the list is going. A New Hope. If uh, everything else on this list, everything else on your list too, pales in my opinion in comparison to A New Hope. Because they developed some interesting new planets. A New Hope developed an entire galaxy. So, in my opinion, you know, it's the... I, I don't like using this argument a lot, but you can't, like... You, you can't acknowledge this. A lot of people like New Hope best because it was the first one. And in terms of world building, I agree with that sentiment. In terms of other things, I don't agree, but, like... In terms of world building, A New Hope built the galaxy. Empire and the Clone Wars and the other ones expanded the galaxy. A New Hope built the galaxy. You know what I mean? So in my opinion, that is why it's the ultimate choice for world, world building. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with you on that one. I think you you made a lot of good points, and I thought you had some really some really unexpected but but great choices. Well I'm done. I was surprised with Attack of the Clones and Phantom. Though I agree <laughs> on Phantom so much, actually. Um, it's probably like six on that list. Um, for me. Okay, that's gonna be it for this episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy. Um. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy listening to us talk about Star Wars, you can find us Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, we will be there. Follow us on Twitter at AnyGalaxyPod, Instagram at Star Wars in a Galaxy. You can find us on YouTube where we do some live streams and stuff. Please leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help if you can. You can email us at SWInAGalaxy at gmail.com. And until next time, may the Force be with you. Always.